Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Alright, hello everybody and welcome back to another podcast. This is Chris Platty Presents Hip Hop and Basketball. I am your host, of course, Chris Platty. And here today is an NBA podcast and this is a preseason preview on the Pacific Division. Now, unfortunately, today is a solo podcast, but I will try to bring a guest on for the next division I will do. But um, today I'm just going to go through each team in the division uh, one by one and then talk about everything that happened in the offseason for them, my thoughts, and then I'll end it with ranking them in terms of where I project them to finish record-wise in their division. When I come back, we will start on the Pacific Division. Shout out to Will Wade, man, a guy who made that introduction beat as well for this one, and he was on the hip-hop podcast I posted earlier today. Anyways, let's start it with the champs. I feel that's only right. So we're going to start with the Golden State Warriors. Now, of course, the Golden State Warriors had their um, big offseason and definitely made headlines by signing Kevin Durant to a two-year deal with a one-year player option um, to max contract, of course. And it basically sets him up to get the highest pay he can next free agency when um, Steph also becomes available. So now I've talked about the Warriors a lot this summer and obviously rightfully so signing Kevin Durant and of course the 73-9 season, all of that stuff. But I wanted to just reiterate my quick thoughts on why this super team is great for the NBA because I hear nothing but complaints about it. And so my, my simple thought is, I come from the generation where I'm currently 20 years old, and I come from that generation that was obviously not around for Jordan, for peak Jordan, um, and barely could even, <laughs> couldn't even walk by the time Jordan was in his prime. Um, then, then you got Shaq and Kobe, which were very dominant, but I was, again, I was still too young to really experience that and um, appreciate it. But now this this is my opportunity and my generation's opportunity for people within my within my age group. Uh, this gives us an option or an opportunity rather to appreciate greatness and um, appreciate a just a dominant force that they will be. But I, but I also want to say this: the the whole idea that they're going to win five titles in six years and all that you can you can stop that. Because as we've seen with sports all throughout history, you can never assume a dynasty, no matter how good it looks on paper. This Warriors team looks great on paper. You have four of the top 12 players in the NBA, something we've never seen before since maybe maybe the 60s and 70s. You've seen a little bit of that, but we haven't seen that since. And so you have four of the top 12 players. Miami Heat, when they, were, when they had their big three, those were three of the top arguably 15 greatest players 
Now the Warriors have four of the top 20, including the second and third best players in the NBA. So this is just something very unique that I don't think we'll ever see again. So I think we should appreciate it. And also remember just this quick thought that when the Miami Heat got together, there was a lockout, right? And all the owners were mad about how LeBron, Wade, and Bosh all teamed up and they they set it up and they made they made it very clear behind closed doors that it was happening. And so when it actually happened, it made the owners mad. And the owners, what they decided to do is they decided to take it out on the Miami Heat and this kind of big three team building in the next CBA when there was a lockout. That was the main reason of the lockout was the Miami Heat and owners wanted to find a way. The 29 other owners in the NBA wanted to find a way to stop the Heat and to stop these kind of dynasties from happening. So they imposed a luxury tax, which they knew the Heat organization was notorious for not paying. So they put in the luxury tax knowing that it would cripple them financially, and it did. It cost them to trade key pieces like Mike Miller and so on and and make really tough financial decisions and that could that stopped the Miami Heat dynasty from continuing to build and eventually they had to fill the roster out with a bunch of old players the old and we know the story from there the old players broke down and the Spurs just kicked them in the finals so don't so don't assume that this is a dynasty now this could lead to a lockout I know a lot of people are optimistic about a lot about lockout um Things are good. Players are getting paid and all that, but it there's going to be a lockout now. I think. I think there's so many teams around the league that are just mad at what the Warriors did, kind of like what the Heat did. They just found ways to circumvent the cap, and they just kind of had a a really lucky and fortunate string of events happen to them. Curry signing a cheap deal, Clay getting Clay getting a a, a cheaper max, and then the salary cap exploding. I mean, because none of this would have been possible if the salary cap didn't explode the way it did. So, I mean, it just took a lot of specific things to happen. But you can bet that teams are going to find a way in this next CBA to punish the Warriors. So I don't expect this to be a complete dynasty that wins five of six titles um, and just goes on a, a just dominant run. I'm not expecting the 60s Celtics. I'm not, not at all. And I don't think anyone should either which is another reason I think you should appreciate this team while it's around and while it is dominant. Because, I mean, this team could very well... A funny thing, um, I wanted to talk about this as we segue back into the team, is the fact that they went 73-9 and last year, but they could break that record this year, and they could do it while resting players. Because I know the, the whole thing is rest your star players whenever you can. But think about this. If they were to rest just one of their big four, their big four obviously being Curry, Kevin Durant, Klay Thompson, and Draymond Green. If you were to rest one of those big four pretty much every night, you still have three of the top 10 to 12 players in the NBA on your roster, which means you could win hypothetically any game, and you should be favored to win any game in in the NBA. So, I mean, it's it's really interesting. I mean, you could even sit, hell, you could even bench one night Curry and Klay Thompson then you still got Kevin Durant and Draymond Green and their excellent supporting cast. They could easily win against most teams in the NBA. So I think 73-9, and while I, I wouldn't put my bets on them breaking it, I would say it's it's quite possible. It's very, it's very possible. Um, but anyways, let's get into some of their acquisitions. So let's start with who the Warriors lost. So they lost Barbosa, Spates, Bogut, Barnes, 
Brandon Rush, uh, Festus Azili. And so th- they lost four rotation players, really. I mean, Barbosa, Spates, Bogut, and Barnes. Azili kind of fell out of the rotation. He was a nice luxury that they had, but um, he really, really struggled this year. And uh, he's had some in- injury history. So that one wasn't too big. And Brandon Rush was in and out of the rotation, uh, way more out of the rotation than he was in, but just another shooter, easily replaceable. Now Barnes was there was a key piece of this team, obviously, and a key piece of the lineup of death, which is, of course, as you all know by now, Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Igudala, Barnes, and Draymond Green. But now you substitute Harrison Barnes with Kevin Durant, and that lineup is much more deadly. Um, Bogut was a huge loss. Uh, they didn't they didn't have a rim protecting five at the moment that they lost him, but they needed to trade him to clear space to get uh, Kevin Durant. But um, let's mention who they re-signed. So they re-signed Sean Livingston, which was huge. He was a vital rotation piece of the team. He's a very flexible guard um, at six seven, I believe he. He's very he's very versatile. He can play either guard position, and he was just key. He was a key unit off the bench. Uh, Verjao, who really struggled. I didn't think they had any business signing him, but they signed him for the veteran minimum. So, I mean, there, there's not really much to complain about in that case. Um, they re-signed James McAdoo and Ian Clark as well, two young, promising prospects who uh, who kind of showed flashes at moments. Um, but again, they, these guys will just kind of fill out the roster. I don't expect any of them, other than Livingston, to be in the rotation. Maybe, just maybe, Verjao cracks the rotation. I don't see it happening on a nightly basis, but I can see him playing uh, maybe 40 games or so throughout the season, just playing on nights when they rest bigs or if injuries happen, of course. Um, but uh, we'll we'll get into who they got. So they got Zaza Pachulia and David West. I mean, they practically stole these guys. Zaza Pachulia, although it wasn't deserved, was almost an all-star last year by, by the of course, the whole fan voting. And those of you who know me know I have a problem with fan voting. But anyways, um, Zaza Pachulia is a great rebounder. He's an okay rim-protecting five. He's not the greatest because he's not athletic and above the rim. But... Um, He's very. He's just very. He's a very good positional defender and a very good post defender, and he's a nice outlet. Um, he's a nice outlet for the pick and roll. He sets hard screens, and he also can knock down the mid range. And like I said, his rebounding is his biggest strength. Uh, David West, a versatile big man, played with San Antonio last year. Uh, had a great had a great playoff run actually. Um, I thought he had. I thought he had real good moments. I shouldn't say a great overall playoff run, but he had great moments. He's a solid, savvy, veteran big with a lot of toughness, and at six nine, who can shoot. And he's shown at times last year that he could shoot the three as well. If he can consistently knock that down, then in this Warrior system, he's basically the next most spates um, of this team. Just a just a mid range shooting big, and who can maybe sometimes extend it to the three when he's feeling it. Uh, they also got they also got Javale McGee, a huge pickup for them because Javale McGee is is again an athletic five who can play kind of above the rim and that's something that they never they they had with Festus Azili but Festus as as I mentioned before had a lot of problems last year so that was that was a huge get now JaVale McGee we all know him from uh his notorious and frequent visits on Shaq and a fool but um overall we'll we'll see we'll see what he can do in this warrior system that's very complex and very um ball ball movement and iq oriented so I, i'll be interested to see if he fits i'm not sold 
entirely that he fits, but we'll see. Um, other than that, I mean, I don't really have anything else to say uh, on the Warriors other than is, I guess the one interesting question is if you're comparing the bench, which would be um, Igudala, Livingston, and, um, you know, David West, uh, guys of this nature, if you're comparing them to last year's bench, is it better? And I would say no. I would say that this year's bench is not as good as last year's, even though I am a fan of the David West acquisition. Um, there's still room for them to fill out their roster and maybe uh, tweak a few things, and maybe some of the young guys like Clark and McAdoo can develop and be better role players. But I just like the fit of last year's uh, bench with Barbosa, Spates. Um, those guys, I think, were, even though they they weren't uh, they weren't prevalent in terms of in terms of stats and everything Barbosa had some huge moments in the finals huge absolutely huge moments so overall I would say that last year's bench was slightly better I just think the pieces fit better but um that's all I got to say on the Warriors we'll move on to the Lakers now so the Lakers draft Brandon Ingram that was their biggest move of the of the free agency slash summer I guess you could say um they drafted Ingram. I'm not sold on his potential like everyone else is. I, I see all these Kevin Durant comparisons, and Kevin Durant's a very special player. I don't think that anyone who's skinny and can shoot is Kevin Durant. Um, Kevin Durant brings a lot more to the table than that. But um, I, I, do like the, I do like the young core that they have. I just don't like them um, I just don't like them together. I'll get into that a little later. But I, but I do like that the Lakers are getting younger and they're getting as much assets as possible. Um, just kind of building towards, I think, what they should do is trade for a star. But um, we'll, we'll see we'll see what they do down the line. Um, I'll get into some of their free agency additions right now. So, excuse me, I like the I like the price they got for Jordan Clarkson. I'm very very high on him. The guy is six six. He's a combo guard. He's very athletic. He just needs to improve as a playmaker and a three point shooter. And I think uh, I think those are some of the easier things to improve on because playmaker is all about IQ and just being one step ahead. And you get that from experience and from repetition, which you'll get a lot of in L.A. being the starting guard uh, alongside D'Angelo Russell. And three-point shooting something I think is also still one of the easiest uh, skills to improve in today's NBA. It's just all about it's just all about getting in the gym, shooting up shots, and you know, hiring maybe even a shooting coach if you need to, like Dirk, and kind of fix your form or tweak it in any way possible if it needs to be tweaked. It doesn't look like his jump shot needs to be tweaked. I think he just needs to get in the gym and shoot more threes. Um, but anyways, so having those two skills as um, his biggest needs for improvement and those also being two skills that are particularly easy to improve or should improve over time, I think is a I think is a huge uh, is a huge benefit for the Lakers, and I just think overall this contract is a home run for LA. But with every good, there's bad. Uh, they ruin the whole get younger and cheaper philosophy by adding Mozgov to four years, sixty four million, and Luol Deng to four years, seventy two million. Now both of these are going to be tough contracts to stomach in in two three years. Mozgov has had knee issues. Um, which is, of course, never good for a seven-footer, but lately he's been having them even more. Um, and Dang, at age 31, even though he's been consistently durable throughout his career, he has already played over 29,000 minutes. So his health is may end up being a ticking time bomb, 
we'll have to see. But I do like him as a veteran, though. I do like Uwe Dang because he's one of those what you would call Class A veterans. But at that price, I just and that amount of years is just too much for me. I just I don't like it. I get that you need veterans when you have such a young team, and I get that Uwe Dang is a great, great veteran. Uh, I just don't think that two, three years from now, he's really going to be worth that kind of money, especially if um, if the cap ends up even dipping or really or really slowing down in terms of in terms of the cap increase uh, per year, as it's rumored right now. Um, but I do like the fact that they're still being aggressive with free agency, but they should learn to adapt what I call the Mark Cuban Plan B philosophy. Now, for those of you that have followed the NBA for years, you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. Mark Cuban is amazing at targeting the big name, i.e. Dwight Howard, Darren Williams, and missing out on that name and finding great and sometimes even better replacements, like getting guys like J.J. and stuff, um, and just rotational players that end up helping, or Chandler Parsons. and just uh, This summer is a perfect example, actually. They lost Chandler Parsons, a high-risk injury player, and they gained a young, talented player like Harrison Barnes for a much cheaper contract. And he's younger, and again, he's more he's more healthy, and he's got more promise. Um, so, I I like I like what Dallas did, but um, as far as LA goes, I think they need to they need to adopt that philosophy. They need to they need to construct better plans for when their plan A doesn't work, because their plan A this summer was Durant, their plan B was DeRozan, their plan C was Al Horford, and then after that, I think it was just Mozgov and Dang, so they they gotta they gotta just find a better way. I think I think you can find cheaper, younger talents. Maybe getting some trades to take the money. But um, honestly, it's it's not worth it to me. I'd rather if I was an owner. Uh, there's a salary floor that you have to get to, meaning that your team can't be below this uh this amount of dollars in salary. Uh, it's just it's it's a competitive uh thing that the NBA put in just to kind of make things competitive so that people will spend money to make good teams and they won't just put a $10 million team on the floor and just profit the rest. Um, but anyways, with that floor being said, there is a fine if you don't reach it, and I would rather pay that fine and have long-term flexibility if I'm an owner than to just invest in a bunch of guys who for four or five years who in two to three years are going to be broken down or may potentially just be even just non non-existent in the rotation so again they could have a lot of dead weight money in the future so we'll see we'll see about that um but anyways i wanted to get back to the core because i think that's the biggest point to talk about with la is you have to talk about the young core and i'm talking d'angelo russell brandon ingram um jordan clarkston and julius randall sorry um so I'm not. I'll start with Russell. I'm not a fan of Russell because of the whole Ingram, not because of the whole Instagram thing, rather, but because I just don't think he can be a leader, and I don't think he wants to be the beta dog on any team. I mean, we've seen him. He's a kid in L.A. He's having fun with it, with those, you know, little hotline bling dances and whatever. But um, I don't have a problem with that. I just I don't see when I see him. I don't see a leader. I don't see. Uh, superstar either i see that he's got a lot of talent and there are a lot of players in this league who will be very talented and win you a lot of games but they just won't get the ring and i think he's kind of one of those players i, I mean how i will say it's very early to say that i mean the guy is just a sophomore in this league 
and he does have exceptional talent, but I just, I don't know, it's just a personality thing, much like a James Harden to me, just a guy who doesn't strike me as as the guy that can carry a team to a championship. He can carry them to a lot of wins, but can he carry them to a championship? That's kind of how I view him, and especially, I think I think his success will especially be impeded by the fact that Overall, I just don't like how this core fits together. I think Randall, I think I'm the highest on Randall and Clarkston. Uh, Randall can be a very good small ball five. He's very versatile. He can actually bring the ball up the court. He has quick feet. He can operate the pick and roll, score on the low block, and he has shown potential to be an okay uh, shooter and have an okay shooting touch. But it, he needs to become a rim protector. And if he can become a rim protector or just a, a decent or adequate rim protector, then all of a sudden he is a very versatile five that you do not want to mess with. And he, he could be part of the next uh, death lineup of the NBA, so to speak, if we're, if we're going to keep using that term. So I'm, I'm very high on him. I just, like, I just like the overall talent he has, but I don't know if he works as a four because, uh, again, he's not a rim protector. So you need a five that is a rim protector and can shoot the three because as of right now, Randall can't shoot the three. So in the immediate future, I don't see how Randall works in today's NBA unless you get one of those Kristaps Porzingis, a guy who's who can protect the rim and shoot the three, and those guys are very, very rare. I mean, they're pretty much unicorns in the NBA. Um, so we'll, we'll see how that plays out. But um, like I said, not sold on Russell and or Ingram at this point either. Just again, I think he's overhyped. I think... I think the Kevin Durant comparisons now, I don't think everyone is saying he will exactly be Kevin Durant. I think they're just comparing him to uh, by play style. I don't know that much about about Ingram or about his, um, his I know his style of play. I know how he plays and everything, but I'm just not, uh, I'm not confident enough to say that 100% that I don't think he'll be a star because I just haven't seen enough of them at this moment. But from what I've seen in Summer League and everything and, and watching some college tape, I just I don't see Star written over him at this moment. Um, I, I, see him, I see him being an okay player, maybe even an all-star appearance or two, but I don't see Star player. Um, so none of the core four, this is my biggest problem. Okay, so none of the core four, Russell, Clarkston, Ingram, and Randall, can defend well. And... I don't know how you can build around a core that can't even play together on one side of the ball, which is defense, and I don't even know how they work together offensively. I think Russell and Clarkston's very interesting uh, dynamic as far as as far as a one-two, but Russell hasn't played defense now. Do I believe he can lock in and play good defense? Yes, I do. I believe he can develop into a pretty good defender. Uh, do I believe Jordan Clarkson can be a good defender? Absolutely. So I I think I trust them. It's just Ingram and Randall. I just don't know how well they can defend, and I just don't know how how this team fits together if you can't even play one side of the ball together. So to close with the Lakers, I'll say that the biggest goal for them should be not playoffs. I don't I don't really think that playoffs is very realistic for this squad. I think it's more likely that they end up the number one pick than they do the A seed, but. Um, as far as as far as that goes, I think their goal should be set to play that core four as much as they can together, mix and match, play three of them together, uh, four of them together, and just kind of like 
mix and match combinations and try and figure out who works with what and start to get a plan for the future because I think that the future well it I think it is bright in LA but I also I also think that it's going to take some time and I think that they have to figure things out with this core four because if they invest in all this core four without knowing if it works or not I think it's going to be a huge problem for this team. So, moving forward, I think I think if you're a Lakers fan, I think you should just want to see Ingram, Russell, Clarkston, and Randall play together as much as possible and kind of draw your own conclusions whether you think it works, whether you think it doesn't. Um, and that's what the Lakers front office has to do. They just have to figure out that young core, and they have to continue to get younger and find uh, good pieces and build through the draft. So we'll stay in the same home arena, but we'll uh, switch teams. So we're going to the Clippers. I like the Clippers' core that they have, of course, and they ba- basically kept it intact. Um, they they just lost Jeff Green, who they stupidly traded a first-round pick for. But um, they re-signed Crawford, Johnson, Rivers, and they added Felton and Spates, two ro- players who I expect to crack the rotation, but uh, Spates might not. But I believe Felton will, as far as a guard goes. Um, they they need a guard, and I wasn't entirely sold on on Rivers and Crawford and entirely last year. I like Crawford, but I'm not a fan of Rivers at the point guard. So I like that they got some quote unquote insurance, if you want to call it, with Raymond Felton. Um, overall, this team didn't really move the needle to me, though. I mean, Raymond Felton and most Spates are not going to be the guys that put you over the edge against a team like the Warriors. Or the, or the Spurs or the Cavs, um, but I will say this though, I will I have said this for years with the Clippers. Things just have to break right for the Clippers. I mean, last year, let's think about this. The Clippers were forty-eight hours away from really having a legit shot at the West, or twenty-four hours away. Sorry. So, let me break down the timeline. So Curry gets hurt, and as we've seen. Curry wasn't himself the rest of the playoffs. He had flashes where he played good. He had flashes where he played bad. He wasn't consistently comfortable out there on the floor. But he, with him being hurt and actually out for a few games against that Portland series, and they didn't know how far, how far or how long Curry was out at that time, all of a sudden, if the Clippers just beat the Blazers in the next round, they got the, they got the Warriors without Curry. That's a totally winnable game, especially when the Clippers were the last team to eliminate the Warriors in the playoffs before, uh, before this season. And on top of that, they were also they're also the team that's played the Warriors the closest. Now, granted, they've had a bunch of tragic losses, uh, blowing huge leads and whatnot, but they've always played the Warriors the closest. And then all of a sudden, Chris Paul and Blake Griffin go down, and the season is basically over, and the Blazers win it in six. So. With that being said, I just I I think that the Clippers are very very close and they're a very good team in this in this era. I think they're kind of like that unfortunately 90s Jazz where they were just really good. They won a lot of games and they always had a shot to win the title, but it was just M- MJ was in the way. And I think that's kind of what happened so to speak. These dynasties just came in the way. Uh, the Miami Heat dynasty came at the beginning of the Clippers' rise, and then and then now this there's the Golden State Warriors dynasty. There was the Oklahoma City Thunder dynasty for a little bit. Uh, the Spurs, of course, have always been there, 
and now now it's the Cavs in the East. So I mean, it's just it's always been they're they're just one of those teams, and unfortunately throughout history, I mean, it'd be an interesting podcast to talk about just go through the best teams that never won a title. And I think that years from now, we'll look at the Clippers as one of those best uh, dynasties that never was. Um, but, I mean, that's really all I have to say say on them. Again, they just they just didn't overall move the needle. I like the core. I believe in the core. Uh, if <laughs> I mean, if look, if LeBron and Curry aren't in this league, then, yeah, give me the Clippers to win the title. But, you know, sometimes it just happens. Sometimes you're in. You're in the league when uh, dominance is in the league, and you just gotta, you just gotta do nothing but tip your hat to them. So the Kings, um, they made some moves. They actually didn't have a bad off season for once. I love the Dave Yeager hire. I think he may have finally. I think they may have finally gotten the right coach for Demarcus Cousins, but I don't think it will last. And let me get to why in a little bit. But first, I just want to hit the other notes. So um, I didn't like that they took another big man scal in in the draft. I knew he was the best player on the board at the time, but he doesn't fit unless, of course, you're moving Cousins, and then you still have Willie Cauley-Stein and Scal. So I don't know what they're doing with the front court. Um, I did like, though, that they signed some solid vets who can contribute. Matt Barnes, Aaron Aflau, Anthony Tolliver, these guys are all contributing rotational players in the NBA. I don't think they help this team become a playoff team. I think they just kind of... Um, they just kind of give them veteran, veteran leadership. So I think that's the goal this year. I know the goal ownership says is playoffs, 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 but I don't think that's realistic for them. I think what they should do is they should just start to try to build a positive culture, which has been basically non-existence except for the brief time uh, between Malone and Cousins before before that whole thing uh, combusted into flames. So. I, I just think that if they start to set the culture, then maybe things will change. Maybe DeMarcus Cousins will stay. Maybe DeMarcus Cousins will even go out of his way to recruit people to come play with him. And maybe if the Kings turn things around and treat players better and all these things just run the organization better, maybe other star players suddenly want to come to Sacramento, which isn't a bad place to be. And so, you know, it's it's all about setting the winning culture. We're seeing it around the league right now. Teams are trying to set winning cultures, and it's just really hard. And some teams are on the verge of doing it. Some teams are struggling to do it. Some teams are taking baby processes, and some teams are completely failing. It's a hard thing, and it's it's one of those things you can't really measure or quantify with stats. You just kind of have to know. You kind of have to create the environment and create a trust where a staff and a roster can just coexist and there can just be a positive culture. But I'll I'll get to I'll get to the unfortunate part of this. So I said in the beginning that I see potential for Jaeger and Cousins to work, but at this point I just don't believe Cousins I, I sorry, I just believe that Cousins needs a fresh start. And the sooner the Kings trade him and they get more for what they for what they want and both sides are just happier. I just think with DeMarcus Cousins, I think there's been so much that I really don't see him having a change of heart with this Kings organization. I think he's just beyond fed up with the Kings. I think he's done with them. And I think that he just he just wants a fresh start. I think he needs a fresh start. 
and I think the Kings do as well. I think I know it's I know you don't trade one of those players. I know when you have a potential top five player in the league, top ten player in the league, you don't trade them under any circumstances. I get that. I get why the Kings have been so hesitant to trade them. But I mean, just looking at it, the best thing to do for the Kings is to just kind of just start over trade Cousins and you can get a lot of nice pieces because there are teams around the league that want Cousins so bad. There are so many people around the league that want DeMarcus Cousins. Um, You know, the Lakers would take him in a heartbeat. The Celtics will still take him in a heartbeat despite all these reports that Danny Ainge has lost his love affair with DeMarcus Cousins. Uh, You know, the second Cousins is available, he's going to be on the phone with them and he's going to be talking and trying to pitch ideas and pitch a trade. So, I mean, there's there's probably 25 teams in this league that would want DeMarcus Cousins on their team. So, I think I think that they should just put him on the trading block and they just try and get the best back they can, just get young pieces and just kind of start from scratch and that you have some solid veterans, let them kind of start to teach the, the winning ways and teach the culture. And Dave Yeager was a great culture coach in Memphis. He... He tried to change things up when he first got there, but then he realized that it was disrupting the culture, and he realized that Memphis, that team had an identity and a culture, and so he stuck with it, and he embraced it. So I think he's very good at managing that and developing that too. So I I think that the Kings are in a bright position, and I think that the future is finally starting to maybe look bright as far as their as far as management goes, we'll see We'll see if they screw it up or not. Because, <laughs> I mean, unfortunately, they have a history to do that. I'm sorry, Kings fans, but I have to say it. Um, so I think, I think if you're the, again, I think if you're the Kings, I think you should just want to try and establish a culture. And I think by this year, because DeMarcus Cousins has, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, has two years left on the contract. Maybe it's three. So I think that they have to make a final decision on Cousins this year. I think that it's their end goal for sure is they have to say, okay, are we committing to Cousins? Are we going to potentially fire another coach and try this again with Cousins? Or are we finally just going to say, let's move on. Let's start from, let's start fresh and we'll just start from scratch and just build our way up and try and establish a new team. So I mean that's my thoughts on the on the Kings. Now I'll get to I'll get to the Suns, the last team in the division, then I'll rank them and and I'll get you out of here. So the Phoenix Suns. Uh I love that they're drafting. I love what they drafted rather. Uh very very high on Bender, very high on Chris as well. Two very versatile bigs that fit the Suns great. Um they added another nice big in Georges Papi Papianis. I hope I said that right. Um, so I liked, I liked their draft a lot. They got big. I thought, I thought the big front line was one of their things they were lacking. They have Chandler, who's basically just dead money right now. And they had Len, who's shown promise, but he's also shown injury history. So I like that these guys are guys that are going to take a couple years to develop. So they don't have to be on the roster. They don't have to, um, play minutes right away. Although I expect Bender at least to get minutes. And uh, I expect Chris to maybe crack the rotation, um, but over overall, like I said, I'm very, I'm very high on the versatile, skilled bigs. I just I love those guys. Guys, I'm just in on those types of players all the time, um, and I think that 
when the Suns acquire two or three of those in one draft, that's very nice. Uh, I just think, and they have a great player developmental staff too, so I think that's important to note. But um, they they made some moves in free agency as well. They got Jared Dudley to me. That was their biggest get. Um, he was he's a great stretch four, uh, just basically one of your perfect stretch fours in today's NBA because he shoots three at such a prolific rate. But the the thing that is the biggest addition to me is the veteran leadership. Now I talked a little bit about this with Luol Deng and everything I say with Luol Deng, I think is even higher. Um, I hold to a higher standard with Jared Dudley. I think he is one of the best veterans in this game because he's a great locker room guy and he can still play and contribute to a winning team. So I think he was a totally great get for Phoenix. Um, I'm really, I'm really stoked about that. I like that he's going to be in Bledsoe's ear all the time and Brandon Knight's ear and, and these young bigs. Uh, he's going to be all in their ears all the time. Uh, and I like that they, they, also, they also went and got Barbosa, another guy who fits that mold, is a great veteran who can still contribute to this team. And so I think that, again, getting that veteran leadership with Dudley and Barbosa was huge. And I think that that will really go a long way in developmental. It's not something you're going to see on the stat sheet. But I think down the line, when you interview these guys like Bledsoe and stuff, they're, they're going to say who had the biggest impact on them. And they're going to say 100% Jared Dudley. I'm not even I'm not even going to be surprised or shocked by that by that answer. I'm, I'm telling you, Jared Dudley is a great veteran to have. Um, but they did lose some very important pieces. So they lost John Luehr and Mirza Toledovic. Now, Mirza Toledovic, they lost to the Bucks. He was a fantastic stretch four last year. He shot the three ball at such a prolific rate, and he was just such a great shooter last year for this team. Uh, he hit those corner threes with such uh, high consistency. I believe he shot near 50% from the three-point arc. Um, I can check that, actually, if you give me a second now. But also, I liked John Luehr a lot. He was a, good, he was a good player. He was a great pickup for Detroit. He's a four-slash-five who can defend and shoot the three ball very well. But um, anyways, here we go. So I'm pulling up his stats right now. Last year, he was a very efficient scorer. Uh, forgive me for all the noise of the mouse clicking and the keyboard typing. But... Um, Last season, in terms of advanced shootings, his true shooting percentage was 57.1%. Now that that is an equation that values in terms of um, three, in terms of shooting, it values a three more than a two, and it, of course it evaluates efficiency in terms of makes and misses. Uh, his PR was never higher at 16.2, which is a very good sign, a huge jump. Um, Overall, he he shot the ball very well. I'm looking for the okay. Here we go. So the three point, the three point percentage on corner threes. He was only 36 this year. He was actually 62 percent the year before. So he actually had a he actually had a bad year in terms of three point um, shooting percentage from the corner. But um, overall, he shot the three ball never higher um, than he did this year. He shot it at 39.3 percent from the three. So again, a great stretch four to have um shot the ball very very well uh his rebounding numbers although those weren't those weren't that great again i got into that on the central division podcast which i happened to do before this one and i just talked about how mirza toledovic was um 
not a good rebounder or is not a good rebounder, but uh, but his three-point shooting is very, very valuable to a team, and it's for spacing, especially in Phoenix, a team that runs up and down and is predicated on a guard like Eric Bledsoe who attacks the basket constantly. If you have a guy that is so prolific from the three-point range like Mirza Toledovic, I think that that will, that will, of course, increase the space and the radius that he has to drive and attack the basket. So, And, of course, the same goes for Brandon Knight, too, who's also pretty good at attacking the basket, just not as good as Bledsoe. But anyways, um, John Wooler, again, was a nice pickup for the Pistons. Uh, he, he seemed to be, last year, kind of developing his niche in the NBA, he was starting to figure out that he is a four slash sometimes five who can shoot the three, who can defend well, and he, he was kind of starting to find his role. So unfortunately for Phoenix, they kind of lost him at the worst time. But again, at that price, uh, John Luer is kind of a risk uh, because he's not proven yet. So I think that Phoenix kind of did play it smart by letting him walk. I, th- I think that maybe there's there's a chance that John Luer doesn't, uh, end up being as worth that worth that kind of money. So overall, the Phoenix Suns, I think their biggest question this year is going to be um, the Bledsoe Brandon Knight situation. Now, the brand the the Brandon Knight and Eric Bledsoe situation is a strange one. Phoenix has had a revolving door of point guards for the last four years now. Isaiah Thomas, Gordon Drogic, Eric Bledsoe, Brandon Knight, all these guys in and out, in and out, in and out. And so they they committed last summer to Brandon Knight, signing him to a, a near-max deal. And uh, between Bledsoe and Knight, they kind of obviously committed towards the future together, uh, both of them getting big-term, con- uh, big-time contracts, rather. And I just I don't see I don't see the fit I don't see if they can work together I see the potential because they're both uh, very versatile Brandon Knight's lanky he can guard both decisions but there's this thing and there's this kind of backdoor chatter around the NBA that I've that I've heard from listening to insiders that there's just something wrong with Brandon Knight and and what I mean by that is people are saying that Brandon Knight's just one of those guys that's just a step slow. He has his moments, but he also has those moments where he's just on most nights. He's just a play behind. He just he just doesn't see things. Uh, he doesn't see the simple things. He misses the open man. He misses the cut. He misses whatever read it is. Um, and I know that that's very very frustrating. Team uh, teammates have complained about that behind closed doors, and it's kind of been leaked out. Uh, I'm just I'm not sold on Brandon Knight as a long term guard in this league. I just I think he's good, and I think he's talented, but I just don't think that he works, especially with Bledsoe. I don't think he works, and I don't think he works on a team who's trying to build a winner. Uh, so I think I think they need to they need to trade Brandon Knight. But personally, I'll I'll propose the other coin, other side of the coin rather, in that Eric Bledsoe has had a history of injury problems. I believe he's tore his ACL twice. Uh, maybe one of the times it was his MCL. I'm not entirely sure on that. But Eric Bledsoe, regardless, two uh, two tears in, knee, in a knee ligament is very very bad, and you know it's very cautious. He's I believe now 26 or 27 in the league. So in terms of age, 
So he's been in the league. He's been in the league for a few years now, and unfortunately, you know, he should be in the prime of his career where he should be the healthiest. He should be performing the best, and I think he is performing his best. But I think he is kind of a little injury risk in this sense. So I I wouldn't be completely against them trading Bledsoe. I like Bledsoe in Phoenix. I think he fits what they're doing so perfectly. But at the same time, he does have that kind of almost um, Russell Westbrook fear, I should say, meaning that Russell Westbrook is a guy who plays so freakishly fast, and and he's just so athletic. He's all over the place. He's diving for loose balls. He does not care. I think Bledsoe is, granted, he's a couple notches down from Westbrook, but I think he plays that same style. And I think that with Westbrook, with his injury history, I, and Bledsoe, his injury history, I think that there's parallels and that when I watch Westbrook, I don't know if you guys feel this way. Maybe it's just me being the kind of pessimistic uh, person I am. But I, I always fear for Westbrook's. I always fear every time I see him that he could just blow out his knee and just be done or just or be done for the season or whatever. So my point being with Westbrook is I think that there is a fear with him just as there is a fear with Eric Bledsoe. And so I understand if Phoenix wants to take the gamble and say, hey, look, we can get a lot for Eric Bledsoe, but we're, and we're just not sold on him long term. Um, so we can get a lot for him and just hope that, uh, hope that we didn't make the mistake and get burned by trading the better guard. Because I think if you're looking at this objectively, Bledsoe is planets better as a as a guard than Brandon Knight. So, uh, but I think that I think that you do have to factor in Brandon Knight's a little younger, and Eric Bledsoe has an injury history. So I think that when you when you start to dig deeper, it's not as easy as uh, it's not as easy as it seems. But me again, still, I would trade. I would trade Brandon Knight in a heartbeat and try and just build around Bledsoe. Just try and get some nice uh, wing players and hope and let those bigs develop um, that they drafted. So overall, I think I think Phoenix Suns. Obviously, they're not in the playoffs either in terms of contention. But I do think that their goal this year should be to figure out that situation, much like the Kings have to figure out the Demarcus Cousins situation. I think that the Suns have to figure out the whole um, Bledsoe and Knight situation. All right, so I've been running a little long here, 45 minutes in. I'm going to start to close it and wrap it up. And just to give you a quick hit, I'll rank I'll rank the division, um, the teams in the division, and then I'll then I'll let you guys go. So of course, number one is going to be the Warriors. Uh, no one's arguing that. Number two, the Clippers. Those are those are safe. Those are pretty much locks. Um, then after that, I think I think it gets a little tricky because I do think that although I just spent time saying that the Suns are nowhere near a playoff team, I just kind of like their upside and maybe they over they outperform the Kings and maybe the Kings are the Kings are disastrous. You don't know what to expect from them. One week they're five hundred, the next week they're they're four games under five hundred, and the week after that they're. They're eight games under 500. I mean, you just never know with that team. But I will put the Kings third. I think that's relatively safe. Uh, and then the Suns fourth and the Lakers fifth. I just I think that the Lakers are in total rebuild as well as the Suns. But I think the Suns just have a few more guys that can help them win some games this year. 
Uh, I think though, I think though, uh, if I'm being honest, I think that the Suns and the Lakers will be two of the bottom three teams in the West. I think they're they're going to be very low in the West. They may even be the the bottom two in the West. Um, so that will be, I guess, a close race if that's something you're interested in, and a race for the tanking if you're interested in that for the fans. Uh, but overall, that's my thoughts on the Pacific Division. Now I know I ran long. And I promise you next time I'm going to try and book myself a guest so you don't have to just hear my voice. You can uh, We can kick other thoughts and ideas with, with guests, uh, and it'll hopefully be a better show. But um, in the meantime, guys, thank you guys for tuning in. You guys can subscribe. I am on iTunes and Podbean. It does not cost you a dime to subscribe. Uh, please subscribe, rate five stars, write a review, do all that stuff, comments. All that stuff helps uh, in terms of companies. They look at those because they don't track actual numbers in terms of hits on iTunes. They track um, they track uh, ratings and they track uh, they track reports, like as and comments and reviews and all that stuff that you guys give out. So those really help. Uh, so please rate it four stars if you like it, five stars if you love it, and if. You- if you don't like the podcast, then uh, I just I just hope you don't know you don't write a review. Um, no, nah, I'm kidding. But you guys can find me on my Twitter at crispy1132. That's C H R I S P Y eleven thirty two, and that is also my Snapchat. And on Snapchat, I give fans kind of behind the scenes. I kind of like to record uh, myself during podcasts on snaps and post it. And I like to give you guys sneak pre uh, sneak previews rather of who's on who's coming on and what kind of podcast and I just I, I do a lot of promotion there but uh, my main promotions on Twitter like I said in my Twitter you will find a link to both my Podbean and iTunes that has all my podcasts I do NBA podcasts and I do hip-hop podcasts and I'm looking at maybe potentially giving you guys another NBA podcast before the week is out I'm not sure I know I will be coming to you with more hip-hop content but as far as NBA goes, I might be delivering another uh, podcast by the end of this week. If not, you can expect it this time again next week. Thank you guys for tuning in. I'm your host, Chris Platty, and this is the NBA Podcast 2016 Pacific Division Preview. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.